Praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night service in Jesus' name. We are excited about what God is going to do, not only here in the church, I know that there's, there's only two of us here in the church, but inside of your household, we are believing that God is going to do some mighty powerful things there as well. I'm thankful for an omnipresent God that is not only here, but he is inside of your household, wherever you may be in the world tonight. So we are believing that God is going to touch you, that he is going to bless you and see great things in Jesus' wonderful name. Just to give you a few seconds for you to put uh, some comments or some prayer requests in the comments, you can do that. And we will pray for those things here in just a second. So please put those in the comments. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, we will pray for those here in just a second. But I want to say something, some words that God gave to me on my drive to the church here today. And it was, it was these words that we, we repeat many different times, but it's these words for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I felt that these words were resounding in my head. It felt as though God was reminding me that even during challenging, trying times, that even in the midst of years like this, that there is a reason that God has put you on this planet for such a time as this. In this particular moment, God has placed you here because he knew not only that you could handle such a time as this, but that you could be an absolutely essential part of his kingdom. So tonight, if you come here discouraged or, or put down or feeling shame because of what you have went through, I want you to begin to lift all of that up and realize that God has put you in this world for such a time as this. He wants to use you. He wants to see you filled with the gift of his Holy Spirit. He wants to see all of your sins completely cleansed tonight in Jesus' name. That's who he is, and he is a great and mighty God for such a time as this. So if we could, let's begin to lift our hands. We will pray for these things in the comments tonight. Let's begin to invite him into our households in Jesus' name. God, we are here before you, believing, God, that your atmosphere that you have in this room is not only here, but in every household, Jesus. I pray that your spirit would begin to pour into every family, God, every leadership inside of every household, God, that you would guide every family and encourage them tonight, Lord, that shame is not of you, God, but we can cast that aside, Lord, that any sin we have inside of our hearts, Lord, we can repent of that and dismiss it tonight, Lord, to be open to what your spirit wants to do. God, that you have placed these people here for such a time as this, God. I am believing that you are going to encourage, God, that you will use them and give them wisdom to speak to people around them your wonderful word, God. I am believing that healings will begin to go forward, God, that even as our government begins to change and shift right now, God, that you will hold us true and sure inside of your faith, God. We believe it in your authority, God. I pray for every one of these prayer requests that have been placed inside of the comments, God, for Brother Larry and his family, Lord, the Miller family. I pray, God, that you would heal, God, that you would pour into their lives, encourage them, God. Help them not to get discouraged during this time, Lord, but be encouraged in who you are. Lord, we pray 
for Nate, a friend of mine, God, and a neighbor, Joey, that you would touch these people. You are opening doors, and we believe in your authority that you will continue to open these doors and everything that is there. God, we speak this tonight in faith, God. We speak it tonight because we know that you will do it. God, we are encouraged by your name and the power and the authority that comes with that name of yours. We pray this tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. If you believe it with me tonight, then let's take a few minutes here and praise God and give him the glory for what he is doing in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise your mighty name, God. We give you the glory and the honor, Jesus. All praise and glory goes to you. Jesus, thank you. Glory to your mighty name, Jesus. Oh, we hallelujah. Yes, in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. If you are standing in your household, you can be seated tonight. Again, we're believing for God to do some incredible, great things here during this Bible study. I hope that you have enjoyed these lessons and seen what God is going to do uh, through you and what he can do through you, that we are an all-inclusive church. And so this lesson tonight has so much material inside of it. It is so um, in-depth, and, and it's just going to do some wonderful things for you. I believe it. And I'm excited about that. But before we get to that point, I want to uh, just bring up a few announcements that uh, this Saturday, I believe, is uh, uh, the, the, the prayer, uh, the last Saturday of prayer that we are going to have from five to six. And so I would encourage you to be here to participate inside of that. Um, if you haven't made it to any of the others, now is your time to get this done. Uh, I know that an hour sounds like a lot for prayer, and if you can't make it for an hour, then come for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it may be. But we, we create an atmosphere in here, and the presence of God comes into this place, and I can tell you that it becomes very easy to last an hour when you are with like-minded people praying for our city, praying for things going on around us, that, that that prayer group isn't just here to pray about ourselves and our own needs and me, myself, and I, but we are seeing things done around us in the kingdom of God. And I believe that that light is shining inside of our community. So I, I would ask that you join us in the midst of that. I think it will challenge you, encourage you, and so much more. We will also continue our weeks of prayer and fasting throughout the year as we do every month. And so please participate with us. It's just one hour out of every month. And if you look at how many hours are in a month, to, to not make it for just one hour, there's really no excuse for it to happen. I understand people have to work. I myself have to work during those times some, sometimes. But we can still dedicate an hour in an entire month to pray unto God. It's very quite easy to do so and, and bind together in Jesus' name. So please participate with us this Saturday from 5 to 6. Not only that, but on Sunday night, we have the, the men's meeting that we are going through an incredible book. Uh, if you don't have that book, we can get it to you. If you are a man that's here at the church at 5.30, um, you should be here. And again, like I said Sunday morning, ladies, if you have a husband or a boyfriend or a man that is not inside of that Bible study, smack them right now and tell them that they need to be a part of that Bible study in Jesus' name because there is so much good meat inside of that. And I'm thankful. I want to be a better man. 
I want to be encouraged in the kingdom of God. I want to lead passionately with what God has given to me. And so I hope that you would be encouraged to do the same thing with God's strength. Men, we can't do it on our own. But man, when we have God with us, it becomes so much greater. Then we have the ability to lead the way we need to lead in Jesus' name. So praise the Lord. Some wonderful things coming up. And we're believing for some good things over the next coming months. And uh, we're encouraged by what God is doing. I guess one thing I missed is the financial class on this Saturday. If you want to be involved in that, the Financial Peace University, it's only the second lesson this Saturday at 1 o'clock. You can show up and participate in that. Uh, it's free. There's some good videos, uh, some encouraging things to help you get your finances in order and help you understand how giving to God can be just an incredible thing that richly blesses your life. And so... I would encourage you to also participate in that if you have the time and the, the ability to do so in Jesus' name. So tonight, we are continuing, we're finalizing lesson number two of every tongue and every nation. And so tonight, we're going to be speaking about this idea of a multitude of believers, that we have a multitude of believers. I'm thankful to have been accepted into this kingdom of God, and I'm thankful to be in an atmosphere where I can feel his presence every week and every day in Jesus' name. And it is through what we're going to talk about here today that it's going to show you are invited to be a part of this kingdom. But not only that, but it is our job as apostolics to go out into this world. I know we come into this church and, and there's many things that we're dealing with and sins and we're confused about so many different things. And, and that's okay. We come into the presence of God and he begins to answer our questions and fills us with the Holy Ghost and we're baptized and our sins are washed away and it's incredible things and so we continue our steps forward of improving our lives and drawing close to God but there comes a time when we must begin to to stop challenging challenging certain things that we know is truth and stop debating certain things that we we are just iffy and washy about and that sort of things and we commit to the things of God so that when we begin to step out into this world we can reach others. And there is not a, a greater time than this to begin to say, I am committed to the kingdom of God. And I am committed not just for myself, but because there are people out there that if I am not committed to the kingdom of God, they may not see Jesus shine through during these times. I will tell you these times are going to get more challenging for you if you do not want to commit to the kingdom of of God. So I would challenge you tonight, say, say, I challenge you to tell God that you want to commit to his kingdom and stop debating some of these small debacles that sometimes we want to get into in Jesus' name. So let's dive into this scripture here tonight. It says in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, that after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindred and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Can you imagine this day standing before the King of Kings in just enrobed in a white garment with many different nations around you, many different tongues? Many different people around you who you may not have thought would be standing beside you, but they are because together we can be a church that is all-inclusive of every nation and every tongue. I'm excited about this in Jesus' name. Let me introduce this again tonight 
with this paragraph. It says, when you imagine heaven, what first comes to mind? Jesus Christ, streets of gold or pearly gates, a majestic throne maybe, or reuniting with loved ones. While all these thoughts are exciting, most of us probably imagine the experience from an individual perspective. In our thoughts, we experience the breathtaking majesty of heaven by ourselves or with a few people we remember or would like to meet. John, however, experienced a different vision. Imagine people from every nation of the world, as far as your eyes can see. Imagine the diversity, the languages, the glistening white robes, and the unique expressions of worship. Imagine that you intimately know each person that you see, like each one is your best friend. Imagine the pure joy, the smiles, the fellowship, and the unity. Imagine a holy choir made up of all of the saints who have ever lived in every culture, raising one course to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We can only imagine But even to think about heaven is a joyous experience because joy is a serious business of heaven. In the meantime, we wait with eager anticipation to realize our hope and we catch glimpses of heaven on earth. We glimpse heaven in creation when we see majestic mountain ranges or witness the aurora of lights dancing across the night sky. Even more so, we glimpse heaven when we see a new soul filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our heavenly hope. And we glimpse heaven when we see multitudes who make up the body of Christ all gathered together worshiping at North American Youth Congress. The closest we will likely be to experiencing heaven on earth is in the church. So by the grace of God, let us work to see the vision of heaven reflected in the body of Christ on earth. This is an exciting thought if you think about what's inside of this paragraph. An exciting thought when you begin to realize that on prayer meeting on Saturday night, you are inviting heaven to come down to earth. An exciting thought that when you get up every morning and you pray your prayers unto God or when you pray your prayers before you go to bed, you are inviting heaven to earth. But we must not become so set in one, one, one trail or one mindset that we forget that it's not just about us and our family and the ones we want to see make it to heaven, but it's about entire communities, nations, the entire world, hopefully at one point, being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that heaven not only reaches our household, but it begins to flow to our neighbors and the people who are around us in Jesus' name. That we are a church of every tongue and every nation in Jesus' name. I hope that gets you a little bit excited tonight. I hope that that begins to put something inside of you that says, man, I am excited about being a part of the kingdom of God. But not only that, but I am excited right now that I can experience heaven wherever I may be. That the joy of the Lord can pour into my household just as strongly as it will one day right now inside of this culture around us. We can begin to experience that through Jesus Christ today. 
So let's begin to dive into our lesson. I'm going to give a bit of an introduction here, kind of go through some things. And I realized I didn't read verse 10 there, but it says that these people in heaven, that they cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. One voice speaking this all together, believing it in Jesus' name. Our first point here is that we have a God. And he is father and a mother, or, or, or that they're, 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 he, he pronounced this a time ago, that two people would become a father and a mother of many nations. This was a promise which was given unto Abraham and Sarah, that Abraham and Sarah, you will begin to birth many nations that will come after you. And there is a promise that lies inside of your heritage. Let's look at some scriptures here in Genesis 15 and 5. It says, He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if you be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. God is giving him an incredible promise inside of this of saying, Abraham, give it a shot and try to count all these stars because your generations that come after you are going to be more numerous than these stars which are in heaven above. Not only that, but in Genesis 17 and 4, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and ye shall be a father of many nations. This is God speaking to Abraham, telling him, Abraham, those stars in the heaven, you are going to be a father of many nations, more so than those stars which are in the heaven above you. And God not only gave this promise to Abraham, but he also included his wife, Sarah. He says this, I will bless her and I will give you a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. An incredible time where Abraham and Sarah were being relayed incredible things of the kingdom of God. Yet the way that they approached this, as they said, they began to laugh. God gave them these promises of these many nations to come and these births that were going to happen, yet they began to laugh at what God had given to them. They began to question these promises and think, how can they be fulfilled? We're not young anymore. We're getting older. How can these promises of God be fulfilled? We haven't seen this come to pass as though God wanted it to happen and so maybe we need to begin to do this our own way. In the world of the Old Testament, barrenness caused considerable grief for women. And for Sarah, it caused so much grief that she did the next appropriate thing of this time. And she asked Abraham to take her handmaid, something that was acceptable at this time to do if a woman was barren. It was so essential that ladies had children at this particular time that they would sometimes give their husbands to other people in order to have children and continue these generations forward. And so Abraham and Sarah, in the midst of this promise of God, even though they knew that God had told them this would happen, it wasn't happening, and Sarah was barren. And so they began to think, maybe we need to begin to do this on our own, with our own might, with our own abilities. And, and, and we can see what God does as a result of that. The Lord, however, in the midst of this, began to make it clear. Ishmael would be blessed the child that had been barren or given with the handmaid. But God would establish his covenant with Isaac. 
God wasn't going to let his promise or his word down. God wasn't just going to begin to speak something to them and then say, yeah, just kidding, I made that up today. No, God was giving them a promise that was going to come to pass. However, this promise still would not be absolutely prominent inside of their lifestyle. We see that this promise was going to come in a time of peril or a time of disagreement, a time where things would begin to be turned upside down. We see in the book of Isaiah that generations later, Abraham and Sarah's descendants were in great peril. Isaiah was a younger contemporary of the prophets Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. People who began to live through turbulent times and tried to speak the things of God the best that they possibly could. However, the people continued to turn away from God over and over and over again. But even in the midst of these turbulent times, we see Isaiah being born and his name being given to him, meaning the Lord shall save. There was a potential behind his name of saying the Lord shall save. It was a message that was going to resound inside of Isaiah's life over and over and over again. That the Lord shall save. There was a covenant given to Abraham and Sarah that trickled down through the generations. And these generations had to be thinking, how is this even going to happen? But Isaiah steps on the scene and begins to promote this just by the word in his name as it was spoken. When people began to say, Isaiah in their heads, they knew what that meant. The Lord shall save. And while in captivity, these people were losing their faith in God. We see the judgment of God came upon them because of their disobedience to God. And over and over again, they begin to think, if we are burdened by these people around us, if we are in shackles and we cannot escape this life, then how can we listen to this prophet of Isaiah about the Lord saving us because he sure hasn't done it yet. They began to question what God was doing in the midst of these times. But Isaiah began to remind them that their exile was the result of punishment and not neglect. God had not left them out there on their own. However, God wanted to make a point that there was to be one Lord and one God that is served inside of their lives and they were not to turn to these other gods or religions or these other things that they had turned to. God wanted a people unto himself that were holy and sanctified to who he was, not believing in the government's religion or not believing in the people's religion around them, but believing in this one sole God, that he was their deliverer. And so Isaiah began to promote this message over and over and over again, that God has not left you, but until you turn from these other gods, until you turn from these things that you have focused your life on until you turn from these things you have dedicated your life to God will not deliver you from your circumstance here in this place and so we see in so many different times that God began to rewrite history it's incredible to think that God is not at the mercy of history but he's the one that controls history I hope that brings you some hope tonight he's the one that controls 
history. What goes down in the history books of what has happened during COVID-19, it isn't controlled by governments around us, although some of it has pieces inside of that. But really what is happening is God is allowing these things to happen. And wherever he wants to step in and see his spirit poured out, it will happen. There is nothing that can get in the way of God saying, I want my spirit to be poured out during these times. There is nothing that can put handcuffs on the gospel from reaching countries and nations that have refused to allow it inside. You see, even in the midst of that, God breaks through and does incredible things. And it was the nation of Israel that needed to be shaken and woken up inside of this to say, hey, there's something more inside of your life. There's something more that you have neglected. There's a promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah. There's a promise you need to begin to listen to. And even though Israel was rebellious, hard-hearted, Isaiah prophesied in the middle of captivity that God was going to do a new thing through a new servant who would preach the good news and restore Israel as a light to all nations. However, this restoration was going to come through sacrifice and rejection. Isaiah 53 and 11 says this, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out the soul unto death, and he hath numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, he bore the sin of many. If you don't understand what we're talking about here yet, we're talking about the Messiah and his sufferings that would ultimately lead to the joyful restoration of the people of God. The judgment of God was only momentary, but his gracious kindness would be everlasting, allowed in our present time. You see, he had promised to them that they would one day be the father of many nations. And it was through the Messiah that we can begin to see this happen in Jesus' name. I want you to think about this, but how do you think that people felt about the promise of Abraham during their captivity? What do you think they were thinking when Abraham had relayed this story to his sons and his sons and his sons, and it continued down to their generation, and they were thinking, well, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather had this promise from God, yet it doesn't seem to be coming to pass. How do you think they felt in the midst of that time or those challenges that were there? But we see this promise was prophesied. The promise was prophesied. I think you're beginning to feel the excitement that is coming from this promise. God had called Israel to be a blessing and a light to the nations. Yet Israel had been rebellious. Isaiah stepped inside of this and said, You know, Israel, you've been a little rebellious. You've been doing some things against the kingdom of God that have really began to hurt you. 
And ultimately, Israel, you have became barren. God promised that you wouldn't be barren, that you would inhabit all these places of the world, that sort of thing. So Israel, let me begin to give you something a little bit further than that. That you are no longer going to be a barren nation, but even in the midst of handcuffs and shackles, you are going to be released to see this promise that God has given to Abraham. He began to tell them that though you are barren, it does not matter anymore. He began to tell them that something great was going to come as a result of what they were doing. This miraculous, or the, the miraculous children born in barrenness would be more than the children of the natural lineage of Abraham and Sarah. It was probably hard for these people to understand this at this time. But there was something more that was going to come to fulfill this promise of Abraham. In Genesis 28 and 14, it says, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Sounds to me like a pretty big promise, doesn't it? If you were sitting there reading this promise thinking, Man, God... How is this going to happen? How is this going to work? How are we going to have all these children? I mean, other people have had children. So God, how are all these generations and nations going to be blessed? I thought this was a promise specifically for our people. You can see the wheels that were turning inside of their heads of questioning how this promise was going to take or come, come, come to pass. The barren people of God had the promise of children again, a righteous offspring and the fulfillment of of the patriarchal covenant through the prophetic promise of the Messiah. But ultimately, the people of God would need to make room for this promise to be fulfilled. Their minds were beginning to put what God wanted to do into a box. Of God, if you're going to use us to do this, how is it going to happen? Because we don't have the means or the people to make this happen, to inhabit the entire world but they were thinking inside of a box. They weren't thinking about how God might begin to do this in Jesus' name. So a question for you tonight is how can you make room for the promises of God in your life? How can you begin to step out of your box or your idea of how these things are supposed to happen and begin to say, God, however you would like them to happen, I desire that for my life in Jesus' name. In fact, I think it would be good if we pray that here for just a second, that God would open our eyes to maybe some walls that we have set up so that we can tear those things down and begin to let him work more efficiently inside of our households in Jesus' name. Just lift your hands right there. God, I believe it, Lord, tonight that you will expose unto us things around us, God, walls that we may have boxed you in with, God. I pray that we would begin to remove those, Lord, that we would first of all see them and we would remove them, God, to tear them down, to let your spirit flow inside of our community, God. Let us not be the reason that you are held back from doing mighty, powerful things in our city, God, but use us, Lord. Give us your vision. Let us see through your eyes, God, on how souls and people can be reached around us, Lord. I am believing in every household that you will show them how to 
to pour your spirit more so into children, God, in the people around us, Jesus. I believe you in your authority for this tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. We believe in those promises there. And so we see that we are meant to be a church of many nations, a church of many nations, and that God has given a promise to the church. Jesus promised to initiate a new kingdom that even the disciples had trouble understanding at first. It says this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It was a question that had been asked. But you see, this was going to become something more than that. A kingdom that would spread to the end of the earth. The kingdom would not be a work of the flesh, but would be a work of the spirit. It was a misunderstanding that these people had at this time because they thought that the Messiah was going to come back and completely destroy the Roman government and put them in leadership positions and begin to allow them to rule and not have punishment anymore or not be persecuted anymore or not have people say bad things to them anymore. But this Messiah was going to step up and tell the Romans, these people here have done it right all along and you all have done it wrong. And they thought that they were going to be lifted up and exalted in that way, yet they were shocked when this Messiah came down here on this earth absolutely humble in a human body and began to walk around amongst them and began to teach in different places and begin to challenge them instead of challenging the Romans and the people who they thought he should be challenging. But he began to tell them that it's more important that you're involved in the spiritual works than wiping out the Romans in this fleshly neighborhood. You see, right now we could pray, God, wipe out the government before us. Wipe out the administration that is there. Wipe out the things that they are doing, but that is not where God wants us to be. We are not in the midst of a physical fight, but we are in the midst of a spiritual battle for souls around us. And Jesus demonstrated this when he stepped on the scene, that it was not going to be a physical change that was going to happen, but it was going to be something spiritual that would rock this world and the socks off of it in Jesus' name. We see that on the day of Pentecost, this promise began to be fulfilled more than ever before. People gathered from every nation under heaven, as you see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And we see that he declared the words of the prophet Joel that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, not just Americans, not just Spanish people, not just Africans, but upon all flesh, every nation and every tongue, every person, no matter your skin color, no matter what you look like, no matter how hot you are or how bad you are, it doesn't matter inside of the kingdom of God. What matters is that God wants to pour his, his spirit upon all flesh. The promise of the church was for people of every kindred, every tongue, in every nation. It was evident that God was trying to keep this promise going. But the promise still did not stop there. The promise didn't stop at this particular place because these disciples still struggled with this idea of the Gentiles being filled with the Holy Ghost. I know that we've spoken about this and so I'm going through it quite briefly. But in Acts chapter 10, we see another major shift with Cornelius. There's a man, a Gentile, who's filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as Peter preached the gospel message to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on each of them. And the disciples heard them speaking with other tongues and magnified God. 
in Acts chapter 10 and verse 46. Peter then commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Not the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not the Trinity, but in the name of Jesus. Really a debate that we should be far over within the first few months of being inside of the church. That's really a debate that should not hinder us or a wall that should not stop us from reaching the people inside of this, this community by saying, man, I'm still questioning this inside of my life. No, we don't have time to question this stuff anymore. We don't have time to, 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 to put this in a place where we say, man, I'm going to debate this for the rest of my life and go back and forth. No, we need to get into Scripture and say, man, uh, whatever Scripture says, I'm going to apply it to my life. There's a Cornelius out there that needs to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He needs to speak with with other tongues. I'm not going to sit here and debate whether or not tongues is true and real, but I'm going to say, Cornelius, man, you need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you will begin to speak with other tongues as that Spirit begins to pour inside of your life. There's somebody else out there that you need to say, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, we can begin to preach some of these things that are spiritual more so than physical. We can stop debating the government and what is going on inside of politics and say, you know what? I am going to stand firm on the things of Jesus Christ, and that is going to be my desire to preach that. Not some political party, but I want to preach Jesus. I want to preach who he is, because every tongue, every nation, every kindred, every person in government, every low person inside of our world, they need this message of Jesus Christ, and I want to see them dancing on the streets of gold with me when I get to heaven in Jesus' name. You are fulfilling the promise that was given to Abraham. Jesus Christ also called the Apostle Paul a chosen vessel of his to bear his name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. Paul began to do what Peter was doing in preaching this to person after person after person. You see that they were going, they were fulfilling this promise that was given to Abraham that your seed is going to begin to flow into all nations. I know that physically, you may not be a part of Abraham's seed, but spiritually tonight, you are a part of a promise that was given to Abraham thousands of years ago in a prophecy that was meant for every one of us today. God does not fail at his promises. God does not give them and take them back. But he gives them and says, this is going to happen. Who comes to mind when you think of the promise of the Holy Spirit for all nations? How can we challenge and encourage one another to expand our understanding of who is included in this promise? So let's begin to apply this to modern day here in Jesus' name. We see that we have a promise that is in peril. There is peril in culture. When Paul wrote to the Romans, the first century Christians, that they were destitute and experiencing brutal poverty and persecution. Christians heard the propaganda of the Roman Empire supposedly providing for and protecting the people of Rome, but in reality, there, there, there were only a small number of super wealthy elites in the city of Rome who possessed vast amounts of land and wealth. Does it remind you of anything today? Does it remind you of what's going on around us inside of our current culture? Paul was writing to the Romans during these times 
when they were being challenged with these ideas and these thoughts. This context of Israel's captivity in the day of Isaiah held a striking resemblance to the first century church. The difference was that the church was not experiencing the judgment of God at this particular time. Yet Christians were wondering, is God able to keep his promises in the middle of this Roman oppression? We thought this Messiah was going to come in and wipe out the Romans and destroy them and give us a clear path to reaching other people, but he did not do that. But Paul began to echo a similar message to Isaiah, saying it's God and not Caesar who is in control of the current time frame. It is God and not President Biden who is in control of our present time. It is God and not the Senate or the Supreme Court who is in control of our present time. There can be laws that are passed. There can be restrictions put on the church. And I am thankful that we have wisdom just like this last Sunday in the business meeting to begin to put things in there of this is what we believe because we will not vary from it because it's what scripture truly says. I'm thankful that we have a pastor that guides us in that way. I'm thankful that we have a church that supports that, that we are saying we are going to stand behind scripture and not let this fail because the government may come against us and say, well, you can't believe that. And if you do, these are the restrictions that you're going to have upon your church. Come on, begin to put that burden upon us. But we know the one true God who is in control in the midst of that. You can put those burdens on us if you want or you desire to, but it is not going to hinder us. And in fact, it's going to begin to put the pressure on to say, I want to reach more people. I want to see more souls saved. I want to see more baptisms happen. I want to see things begin to happen in my life around me. Bring the pressure on because it will encourage me to seek the Lord more and say, God, I cannot stay in this pressure on my own, but I need your supernatural power to help me through it. It's going to begin to make us more powerful as a church. When you're in the middle of oppression and in the middle of burdens being placed upon your shoulders, it's the time that God can begin to move incredible mountains inside of your life. So do not stray from it. Do not push it aside and say, I do not desire that. Do not begin during these times to say, man, I just can't handle this anymore, but begin to say, the Lord is my strength. Who else? There's no one else that I need inside of my life. The Lord is my strong tower. He is my rock and my fortress. He is the one who will guide me and lead me through these times in Jesus' name. Put them on your mirror. Begin to proclaim it every day inside of your car. Let it be a passion that begins to go deep inside of you. It says this in Romans 4. It says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all thy seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. He's beginning to tell them, people, you are in the midst of a storm, just like your relatives were. People, you're in challenging times, but there's a God who's fulfilling a promise through you in Jesus' name. We see that Abraham remained fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform according to this scripture. So listen 
to this next statement. Listen to what I'm going to say, and I'm going to repeat it a couple times. The righteousness of Abraham was that he believed the promise in the face of impossibility. The righteousness of Abraham was that he believed the promise in the face of impossibility. Can we say that about ourselves tonight? That we are believing the promise in the face of impossibility. That we are saying, man, it does not matter what happens around us. It does not matter what restrictions are put upon us. But we are going to live for God in the face of impossibility. We're going to believe that people will be baptized, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just look at the countries like Iraq and Iran and these Middle Eastern countries where you will be killed if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at the revivals that they are happening in the midst of these places where the government says it cannot happen, where the people says it cannot happen. It's God who is in control in the midst of there, and there is still a revival where people just like us come and worship and lift their hands and praise and dance in the presence of God. Even though they have to do it a little bit quieter and underground, they still begin to do it because God can reach people in the midst of those times. I want to be righteous like Abraham and say I believe in the promises of God even in the time of impossibility, even in the midst of COVID. COVID-19, I believed in the promises of God that his baptisms were still true and real. I believe that people were still going to fill, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let us continue to say those things and let that happen. Paul was reminding the church that they were the fulfillment of God's promises to the nations of, to the nation of Israel. You see this over and over and over again. And so today, there's still peril in the church, just like there was peril back then. We see that Peter back then struggled in interacting with Gentiles, as did others. It was an awkward place. It was something that was new for him of how do we reach and go about speaking to these people about the kingdom of God. But we see that when some people struggled to see this vision, even though Peter was preaching it, proclaiming it, seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost, baptizing, that God also raised up Paul to be a fierce defendant of the Gentiles. In his epistles, Paul encouraged the early church to stand in humble awe of God and worship together as one body, both Jew and Gentile. There was a post that we put on our church Facebook page, and it's something that is really becoming a motto for me, something that I want to begin to exemplify in my life. But it says this, humble yourself exalt others and magnify God the highest. Humble yourself, exalt others, and magnify God in the highest. If we put that mindset inside of our lives, it does not matter who gets the credit. It does not matter if I get the credit for these people being filled with the Holy Ghost. It does not matter for these, these baptisms that happen here. It does not matter if I get the credit for those things that are going on inside of that. But I want to exalt these people and say, man, God can pour into your life. 
I want to begin to encourage other people to say, man, you can begin to see miracles happen through your hands when you lay them on somebody else. If we begin to promote that and begin to exalt one another inside of this, and then lastly, begin to magnify God in the highest and say, God, it's only because of you that these things are happening, then we would see revival grow incredible ways. It's a way that we begin to, to form from Paul that he humbled himself. He began to exalt and relay into other people and he magnified God in the highest while he was doing that, saying you people can begin to do this and go give glory to God inside of this in Jesus' name. But we see this drama begin to unfold even more when the Pharisaical Christians advocated that Gentiles would have to follow the law of Moses to be saved. But Paul advocated that the result of human efforts would lead to bondage. Humans doing what they thought would be best for the kingdom of God would result in bondage and chains. But, Paul said, the work of grace by the Holy Spirit would lead to the freedom of the church. The work of grace would fulfill promises spoken thousands of years before and just like isaiah was telling this nation here paul and these other apostles began to proclaim that the church would no longer be barren and held captive by the fallings of human efforts to keep the law but by the work of jesus christ and his holy spirit the people of god would begin to increase beyond measure seeing revivals like we have began to see where thousands tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands are inside of some of these arenas and the Holy Ghost begins to fall and they begin to speak in other tongues as they are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And these people, it amazes me, they don't just sit there and say, well, now I'm going to debate the pastor about whether or not I should believe in Jesus' name or whether or not I should believe in, in this doctrine or this thing. No, they take this, they put it inside of their lives and they say, I am going to go preach this. It does not matter what my friends or the people around me begin to say about this and they run back to their villages and they begin to preach this they take their bible they have no clue they've never had a pastor before but they begin to study the scripture and they see these things and they see jesus name baptism so they begin to tell their friends about it and they begin to pray for their friends and their friends begin to get the gift of the holy ghost and then they take their friends to the river and baptize them in jesus name it's no wonder that some of our missionaries are going into these communities and there's already churches established believing the same thing that we believe because it is not about us or our organization or those things that are going on, but it is God who is in control to reach these people in Jesus' name. Let's let that begin to happen in our communities, in our households, in our neighborhoods that we stop restricting God with our own bondages and laws and things that are going on and say, Jesus, I want to preach your gospel. I want to preach what you have put inside of this gospel. I want to preach it with a passion and show others who you are. God, I don't want to defile myself by the things of this life. I don't want to be seeking money or riches. I don't want to be seeking career or whatever may be going on around me. But God, I want those things to be what allows me to minister to the community around me. You see, Jews and Gentiles from every nation are now the children of this promise. And that includes you, you are a child of this promise of God. When Paul 
went to the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 to advocate for the inclusion of Gentiles to the leaders of the church. He had significant influence over the deliberations. By this time, Peter was convinced and had become an audacious proponent in including the Gentiles as well. The early church and its seminal leader, James, the half-brother of Jesus, concluded, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them the people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, known to God from eternity, are all his works. He tore it down to set it up so that you and I could approach him inside of these places. So what would it look like if the church was known for fighting passionately for grace like the Apostle Paul? How might this influence the negative perceptions that some outsiders have of the church if we begin to fight passionately for grace like the Apostle Paul? That God wants to show grace the people around us. And last but not least tonight on our PowerPoint here, the promise was prophesied. In the first three chapters of Revelation, which we read about earlier tonight, John wrote letters to seven real church communities throughout the Roman province of Asia, in which we know today as Western Turkey. They were likely written at the end of Domitian's reign, And it was one of the final letters written by a New Testament author. He employed an apocalyptic genre to communicate his message. This genre put daily situations into perspective by situating them on a broader cosmic context. By doing so, the letter recipients adapted their behavior to complement the broader context despite daily pressures to conform. What he was doing was taking their issues that they were dealing with there and putting them on a grander scale, saying, guys, these things that you're dealing with now, they're temporary. They're they're, they're going to fall away at some point in time. These hurts and these pains that are inside of your life now, they're not going to be here forever, but they're eventually going to vanish. Instead of looking and dwelling on this problem that is here, let's begin to look at the bigger picture and realize that there is something greater and grander to come inside of this life. He began to put their focus on something else, and I think for us we can relate it to maybe having an injury or a wound or a hurt. When I'm in those places, I like to try to distract myself, watch something, or or begin to do something else. So it takes my mind off of the pain of what I am going through. And that's what John is doing here. He's taking their their thoughts and their ideas of the persecution and what they might be going through, how they thought that God should have done it, and he's saying, look at how God is going to do it. Look at what God has before you. Take your eyes off of what is before you and begin to put it into something that is greater and grander. John encouraged them to be, to to transcend the, the daily Roman oppression propaganda by looking forward to the final fulfillment of God and his promises for all nations. You see, throughout the letter, over and over again, was a variation of the phrase, every nation and tribe, and language 
in people. John spoke these things multiple times, every nation, tribe, language, and people. You can see this in Romans, or Revelation 5 and 9, 7 and 9, 10, 11, 11, 9, 13 and 7, 17 and 15. There is a fierce competition inside of these scriptures between, uh, that existed between this beast exerting authority over the nations and the lamb gathering people from every nation. There can be no cooperation between followers of the lamb and supporters of the beast is what he was saying. He was beginning to show them that there is going to be a division that's going to come. It's going to be people who try to serve the beast versus serving the lamb. I'm thankful that you are here tonight. I'm thankful that we are together here in this church knowing the difference between the beast and the lamb. That we have realized that we want to serve Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. If you struggle with that tonight, I would encourage you to pray very deeply because this scripture in Revelation clearly tells us that there will not be a person who can stand on both sides. That Monday they can live one way and Tuesday a different way. But it's very clear that Jesus says somebody who is lukewarm, he will spew that out of his mouth. It's the most gross thing. He says that he would rather have somebody be hot or cold than be lukewarm in the middle of those things. John is warning us of these perceptions. But he's saying, this lamb, he's meant for every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people. If the church was going to reflect heaven on earth, it would be by directly combating the forces of darkness and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This would only come to fruition when the church lived with heaven in mind and refused to allow racial or prejudicial or political or national and other divisive practices of this world to distract them from the heavenly vision that God has given them. A heavenly vision of a united people from every nation. All of humanity has been created in the image of God. And the church is called to represent the divine vision of every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. You can see why we emphasize the importance of prayer on Saturday night. Why we emphasize the importance of prayer in your household or on Tuesday nights or wherever you might be. Why we emphasize this because it causes us to cast down these arguments and every high thing that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Those things try to creep up in here. They try to take hold of what God wants to do. But I am thankful for a church that prays against that. I am thankful for a pastor that walks around our church and rebukes those things so that they are not allowed to come into our services or the directions that we are going. But we are an apostolic people that are saying we will not let these ideas of our own, these ideas of others around us exalt themselves higher than scripture or the kingdom of God. But we will let his spirit guide and lead us. We will let his scripture begin to pour inside of us and show us our direction. And when we see that path, we are going to walk down it as fervently as we possibly can, not allowing the thorns and the twigs and the things that want to come into that path to get in our way, but we will chop them down and continue forward, marching in the kingdom of God. Now, 
is the time more than ever to get this vision of heaven deep down inside of your soul and say, I am not just doing this right now to have a nice house, to have riches, to look good in front of other people, to look like I have it all together. No, that is not why I am doing this. I am doing it because I have a vision of heaven in mind and not just myself being there, but every tongue, every kindred, every nation dancing on the streets there with me. So if I can invest in missionaries around the world, then I'm going to invest in missionaries, whether I can do it financially or prayerfully. I'm going to believe that God will pour his spirit into those countries. I am going to pray for nations like Iraq and China where this word cannot be freely preached. And I am going to believe that God will pour out his spirit through people. I am going to pray that God would put people in the right places at the right time. And he would use them to minister to those around them. That's why we have people who are in the United Nations right now proclaiming this message of Jesus name baptism, the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's why God has opened that door for all of us to see. And you might be the very one that God opens the door inside of this community. So stop going back and forth, but say, I desire the lamb in his kingdom because God might use you to reach the mayor. God might use you to begin to turn the city on its head or turn it upside down as he did inside of the New Testament. We are a church of every tongue and every nation, a multitude of believers. I know I've went long tonight, but I want to read you just this one last thing. I know it's kind of a fairy tale thing, but it gives you the idea of picturing heaven inside of your mind. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the Don Treader, C.S. Lewis captured a beautiful image of heaven as the characters ventured toward Aslan's country. Lewis's Christ-like figure, this, this figure of As Aslan. Uh, I forget how to say that. But the boat pulled away from the Don Treader to row through the endless carpets of lilies. There was no need to row, for the current drifted them steadily to the east. None of them slept or ate. All that night and all next day they glided eastward. And when the third day dawned with a brightness you or I could not bear, even if we had dark glasses on, they saw a wonder ahead. It was as if a wall stood up between them and the sky, a greenish-gray, trembling, shimmering wall. Then up came the sun, and at first, at first rising, they saw it through the wall, and it turned into a wonderful rainbow of colors. Then they knew that the wall was really a long, tall wave, a wave endlessly fixed in one place, as you may often see at the edge of a waterfall. It seemed to be about 30 feet high, and the current was gliding them swiftly towards it. You might have supposed that they have thought of the, their danger, yet they didn't. I don't think anyone could have in their position, for now they saw something not only behind the wave, but behind the sun. They could not have seen even the sun if their eyes had not been strengthened by the water of the last sea. But now they could look at the rising sun and see it clearly and see things beyond it. What they saw was a range of mountains. It was so high that either they never saw the top of it or they forgot of it none of them remembering seeing any sky in that direction. And the mountains must have really have been outside of their world. For any mountains, even a quarter or a twentieth of that height ought to have had ice and snow on them. But these were warm and green, full of forests and waterfalls, however high you looked. And suddenly there came a breeze from the east, tossing the top 
of the wave into foamy shapes and ruffling the smooth water all around them. No one in that boat doubted that they were seeing beyond the end of the world into this wonderful country. We can only imagine, but what joy imagining brings. Whatever we face in this life, in this spiritual war to reach all nations of this world in Christ, it all will be worth it. In the end, we will stand in holy awe and worship of God as one united people from every kindred, every tongue, people, and nation. So let us work to make our church a reflection of heaven on earth until our Savior returns to take us home. I am incredibly excited about what God is doing in your life, and I believe he is going to richly bless you as a result of this tonight. In Jesus' name. If you could do one last thing, just lift your hands. Let's pray in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for this message that you have relayed to us. I thank you for the promise that you have given to our forefathers thousands of years ago, God. I thank you that we are living in the time where these promises are coming to fruition in front of our eyes, God. I thank you that we are living in the time of great revival. I thank you we are living in a time, Lord, where your spirit is stronger than ever before, God. Seeing things and nations transition and change, God. I thank you for the strength that you have given to us, inviting us as Gentiles into your presence to see you do the miraculous and incredible things around this world and in the midst of our nation. God, I am believing that you will use this church to reach every tongue and every nation in this community, God, that we will not get in debates with other denominations or other people around us, Lord, that we would just begin to preach and proclaim your spirit to those who are around us, God. Let that be in our community. Show us those who are hungry for your word, God. Show us your wisdom in all these ways, God, and I am believing through your authority that you will encourage us in all these ways. God, thank you for what you have done in these lessons. Thank you for opening our eyes, and we believe it tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. I am so thankful for what he has done in the midst of these lessons, and I am encouraged by what he is going to do inside of your lives. If you all need anything, please feel free to reach out to us for now. We're continuing Wednesday nights online, and next month we're continuing with our split groups on Sunday nights, but we are believing that God is going to open some new doors. It does not mean that we won't have baptisms or the infillings of the Holy Ghost, but in Jesus' name we will still see those things happening around us, and I know that God can do it through you. So go forward, encourage this week, knowing that God is with you, and thank you again for being a part of this Bible study tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Have a wonderful week, Jesus' name.